Welcome to He Sang, She Sang. It's the show about opera from classical New York, WQXR. And today we are talking about a very funny opera, The Barber of Seville by Rossini. I'm Mike Schaub. And I'm Marin Lazian. And joining us today in the studio is morning show host Jeff Spurgeon. Hey. Hi. We're really happy to have you. Nice to be with you guys again. So, Barber of Seville. It's a hit. It is a hit. It's a big hit. It's a major hit. And apparently it's very funny. It is. It's hilarious. So I don't know a lot about this opera except what do you, the hits. Let's start with what you know, and then we'll circle back after that. Okay. Well, uh, I, you know, I know the overture. I know Bugs Bunny. I know Figaro, Figaro's aria, Largo al Factotum, and that's about it. So on the train down this morning, uh, I read the synopsis. And it all became clear to you after one reading, didn't it? <laughs> well, after three readings, honestly, not going to lie, after three readings, I still don't know what's going on. So what's the deal? Well, that's actually a good way to start because it is a farce. And Rossini wrote a number of operas that have these farcical components to it. The Italian Girl in Algiers, at the end of the first act of that, everybody can't figure out what's going on. At the end of the first act of Barber of Seville. Everybody can't figure out what's going on. No. I like to call it the Rossini Act One confusion finale. <laughs> <laughs> and it happens. So your confusion is understandable. It's also understandable because this is a farce. So confusion among the characters on stage is, is part of the deal. And so people who watch the story are confused are supposed to be confused because there's a lot of deception going on. The story of Barber comes from the French playwright Beaumarchais. He was a polymath, an inventor. He did all kinds of things and was very important in the French court during the time before and in the French Revolution. And so he wrote three plays based on this character Figaro. And Figaro is a name that everybody knows, but almost all of those Figaro references come from Beaumarchais. He wrote The Barber of Seville, and then he wrote The Marriage of Figaro. I've heard of that. Yeah. Mozart grabbed that and turned it into an opera. And then there's a third play that is not as popular as well-known, in part because no great operas have been written on right. that third play. Well, it's called The Guilty Mother, and it's set 20 years later, but it still features um, Count Almaviva. So Rosina in Barber of Seville becomes the Countess in The Marriage of Figaro. And then I don't really know what her incarnation is, is in The Guilty Mother. But... We'll have to find a Beaumarchais expert sometime and ask him or, or her. commission an opera. <laughs> we could do that, too. <laughs> we could do that, too. So the theme of these Beaumarchais plays is the idea of the servant being smarter than the people he works for. And that is a big deal in revolutionary France. Beaumarchais was also a supporter of the American Revolution. So he was serving the French court, but also supporting the idea of a little more egalitarian sense in society. So the big social theme that goes through these operas, and it's a comedy, so we don't think about this too much, is the servant who is smarter than the noble people he has to work for. So did Beaumarchais make it through the revolution? Yeah, he did. He was actually an arms smuggler. Wow. Um, among many other things. And people at the time understood, and so we can understand now, that in fact Figaro was a semi-autobiographical character for him, that sort of wily, all-knowing, mischievous, very, very smart character, mm. was a stand-in for Beaumarchais himself, who got into all sorts of trouble and then out of trouble again. Figaro is a barber in the Barber of Seville. But he's also what he, a dentist. Um, <laughs> well, they did a lot of work, barbers, in those days. But he's also, as Marin mentioned, he was a fixer. So if you needed help getting something done, Figaro was the guy you went to. That's really the major theme of Figaro's opening music, which we can talk about a little bit later. So before we get to the music real quick, what is the basic story in a nutshell? 
Well, there's this count, Count Almaviva. He's fallen in love with a beautiful woman. She lives with a crusty older man who she doesn't really like very much. And he, that older man, Dr. Bartolo, a doctor, he plans on marrying her. There's like a lot of crusty older men in opera, huh? There are, and beautiful young women as well. Some of them live, some of them die, but this is a comedy, <laughs> so she lives. So Rosina, this beautiful, vivacious young woman, lives with Dr. Bartolo, and Count Amaviva tries to woo her, but he has to get past Dr. Bartolo first. So he enlists Figaro's help. Because they're old pals. Because they're old pals, but he's also going to pay Figaro a bunch of money, which doesn't hurt. And basically throughout the opera, he dresses up as lower class characters to get into Bartolo's house and find ways of communicating with Rosina. Sneaky. Sneaky. And she fell in love with him pretty much at first sight, as often happens in opera. So she is also working with Figaro to try to communicate with him. So uh, so we have lots of little cross-communications happening, which offers a lot of opportunity for miscommunication, and that's how you have farce. That's right. And in fact, she doesn't know that he's a count at first. He convinces her that he's poor. So that becomes a big revelation in the end and all part of the confusion and deception. And that's a piece of the social background of the opera, too, because uh, Count Almaviva wants to marry Rosina, but he's afraid that she only wants him for his money. So he's going to hide that fact in order to try to make her fall in love with him, not for the money, but for the guy. Right. So he dresses up as a drunken soldier. He dresses up as a substitute music teacher, basically. (laughs) Um, Those people are terrible. Terrible music teachers, the worst. super poor. Right. Yeah. Right. But love prevails in the end. He reveals himself as the count. They sneakily get married uh, by paying off some other guy. And by the time Dr. Bartolo discovers them as a married couple, it's too late. He throws up his hands, accepts, and they all sing a finale, and that's that. And it's very nice, as you mentioned, Marin. Nobody dies in this opera, and it's a rare treat, so we should really savor that part of it, too. And the doctor gets to keep the dowry, right? That's his consolation prize, yeah. Not too bad. So as Jeff alluded to, Figaro has, uh, how would you say, a hit a piece of music that probably everybody on earth has heard at one point or another. The best description of this aria that I've heard is the baritone's calling card. If you want to be an operatic baritone, this is the piece that you've got to be able to do to show off your stuff, the Largo Alpha Total. And it, it does show off the baritone's stuff, so to speak. It's very, very quick-moving, tons of quick Italian words and some higher notes than baritones had been used to singing. And it's a great chance for the character to show swagger. This is a way for this guy to come off as absolutely the master of any situation. And it's in the words because everybody in the town knows him and turns to him when they need help. But it's also in the vocal demands of this particular piece. So you've got an absolutely confident, uh, in possession of all his powers major male figure who is this guy ostensibly a servant but smarter than everybody around him So, yeah, Figaro, Figaro, Figaro. 
<laughs> That's the one. <laughs> That's the one, right? Uh, and there's another really famous piece of music from this opera, and it's not a piece of music that is sung. It's the overture. That's right. It's the very first thing you hear. And this has really been in our ears, whether we know it or not, kind of forever. A great, playful piece of music that everyone's probably heard. And it's got that Rossini sparkle in it and a couple of the compositional techniques that Rossini is famous for. I am definitely thinking of Bugs Bunny as a barber uh, doing Elmer Fudd's bald head and uh, chopping up a salad. Right, and his great battle with Elmer Fudd that he has in that cartoon. And my favorite part of that is where they are really angry at each other and they keep, uh, they get into a little arms race um, where one of them is running after the other and they keep returning with bigger guns every time. Right, so we were just talking about the overture. We talked about Figaro's aria before that. And Bugs Bunny is not the only place where you hear this music. Both of those pieces from this opera have been featured in tons of cartoons and sitcoms. You know, TV in a, commercials. TV commercials, right. So in addition to Bugs Bunny, Looney Tunes, whatever, there's Tom and Jerry, which is also a fantastic face-off between that cat and mouse and trying to take center stage singing a Figaro's aria. It's music that just implies a battle. It, it does, I suppose, in cartoon land. Mm-hmm. It's been on Seinfeld. It's been on The Simpsons. There's an episode called The Homer of Seville. <laughs> yeah. Um, and Figaro's aria is actually the very opening of the movie Mrs. Doubtfire, which I happen to adore, by the way. Robin Williams singing Rossini right at the beginning of that movie as a voiceover artist. So this has been in things across the board. I'll bet he didn't learn the Italian that carefully, did he? You know, his Italian is good. Oh, I'm glad to hear that. Yeah. Yeah. His voice a little tight, but right. his Italian, I was impressed. <laughs> this has nothing to do with the opera, but... I was an extra on Mrs. Doubtfire when I was a little kid. <gasps> no right. kidding. Yeah, totally. Where do we yeah. see you? Uh, you don't, because the scene was cut, but they shot a spelling bee scene. Uh, there is a scene in Mrs. Doubtfire where he's supposed to help the little girl study for the spelling bee, and they shot the spelling bee, and uh, somehow when I was a kid, a friend of mine, uh, her mom was friends with the casting agent, and I got to go and spend a day on set in San Francisco sitting there watching Spelling Bee. That is awesome. It was very cool. It was very cool. All of this out of the overture to Rossini's Barber of Seville, which has really nothing to do with the discussion. But that's appropriate because the overture to Barber of Seville was not written for the opera. So the music that's in it actually has nothing to do with the music that's in the opera itself. That's right. And that's not... There were a few pieces in this opera that were not written for this opera, which is maybe no surprise because the opera was written in about 13 days, 13 days according to Rossini, three weeks, according to some other people. And some scholars would say that it was cooking inside Rossini's head for quite a while. Yes, one never knows. But it was a really quick turnaround. Uh, But that's not the only interesting tidbit surrounding this opera, right? No. The premiere of this opera was kind of an amazing story. So a different composer, Paisiello, 
had made an opera based on this story before. And he was pretty famous, pretty established. And the opera was successful. And it was, right. So when Rossini decided to write this opera based on the same libretto, he was kind of nervous. He didn't want to get all up in this guy's face and, and appear to be competing with him. So he sent him this letter. It was all okayed. But on opening night in 1816 in Rome, there were a bunch of Paisiello fans sitting in the audience And basically from the time the first note was played and Rossini was conducting, they were heckling, they were screaming. By the time Figaro sang his aria, which is very close to the beginning of the opera, no one could even hear him because there was such a ruckus going on in the house. Yeah, it was terrible. Rossini kept his cool, but several crazy things happened throughout the evening. A string broke on Count Almaviva's guitar at the very beginning. Everyone laughed. The bass, who was singing the role of Basilio, the music teacher, tripped over a small trap door that was left open, had a bloody nose. He had to sing his aria with a handkerchief to his face. Is it okay? There was uproar. Trying not to laugh right now. (laughs) Laugh if you want. It's hilarious. Yeah, it's hilarious. And during that crazy confusion act one finale, a cat rushed onto the stage. Not planned. It just made its way onto the stage. The person singing Figaro chased it in one direction. The person singing Dr. Bartolo (laughs) chased it in another direction. And it ended up hiding under Rosina's skirt. Oh, man. (laughs) Right. I mean, this must have just thrilled Rossini, right? Oh, he was devastated. No. He he was. Yeah, believe it or not, he was upset. (laughs) And don't forget, almost nobody heard the music because there was so much noise. Can you imagine this happening at the Met or in an opera house now? It would never happen. I'd love to see that. He went home. He called in sick for the performance the next day, which he was also supposed to conduct. But that performance was a resounding success. People went from the opera house to his home, where he was living at the time, to congratulate him. But he heard that they were coming, and he assumed that they were just going to... Burn his house down. Basically burn his house down. So he went and hid from them. (laughs) But first performance, not so great. Second performance was the start of what would be an enduring success for this amazing opera. To this day. To this day. So this opera is in the top ten of most performed operas ever. It's got two of the most famous pieces of classical music you're ever going to hear. What else is really cool about this opera? Is it maybe the funniest opera that you're going to run into? I think it's hilarious. I mean, I really do. It's one of the operas that I laugh most wholeheartedly at when I watch it. The production that's at the Met right now, I just think is kind of perfect. Um, It's one of the the best nights of opera that I've had in a long time, and it's partly just because it's so funny and it's so charming. The characters are really likable. Is it the music that makes it funny, the physical comedy? What is it about this that's so... I think that depends on the production you see. And if you get a really masterly production that can combine great singing and, and bright, colorful sets and make the farce happen, which is so hard to do. Farce is hard to make happen without music. If you can use the music to help you make that happen, then you've got a fabulous evening of theater. It's really effervescent. It's just bubbly. And so nobody's going to die. Compare it with, say, Puccini's La Boheme, which is a gorgeous and romantic and beautiful opera, except she dies at the end. And so in this opera, we're trying to get the right two people together. And for the right reasons. We're trying to get these two people together for real love, not for money, though money plays a part in the opera. And we're trying to make everything come out right. And it does come out right in this opera. And that's (laughs) – most people don't go to the opera to see things come out right. They go to the opera to see things come out wrong. But this one comes out right for all the right reasons. And so no wonder 
we like it. And it's funny. The situations are funny. There's humor in the music phrases that are repeated, that are echoed by one character or another. There are lots of ways to be funny in music. But in in Rossini operas, um, because we delight in the coloratura, these fast passages that the singers are required to sing, Rossini will, will... write one of those, and then I'll have another character echo it. That's one of the nice pieces in the overture, too, that you hear. One of the most famous compositional techniques that Rossini used, he didn't actually invent it, but it has his name, is the Rossini crescendo, where one little passage is repeated over and over and over again. And Rossini makes it bigger by having more instruments play it, and then they play it louder together. And those are the pieces of the music that you remember, in part because they're repeated, but also because they become more interesting as they're played over and over. So the Rossini crescendo is one of those things that pleases us, even though we aren't always aware that it's happening. It's in the overture for sure, but it's all the way through the opera. Actually, a great place to hear it in addition to the overture. So the real music teacher, Don Basilio, he has one major aria in this show, and that aria is pretty much all about that Rossini crescendo. It's where he's coming up with a plan to kick Count Almaviva out of the picture. He's trying to match up the doctor with Rosina. So in order to get the Count out of the way, he devises this elaborate plan about slandering him. But it's really just a vehicle for him to sing this aria that uses that Rossini crescendo throughout so that he starts, it ramps up, it ramps up. And then by the end, he's just this crazed maniac singing really quickly, really loudly with the orchestra in full thrust. And the music is kind of inherently funny, but what it really requires is a great actor to then bring that to life. And it's really what you want in this opera. The music goes a long way, but then the acting and the the physical humor comes through in in the cast. So yeah, all the major characters in The Barber of Seville get at least one shot at really showing their stuff. One of the interesting things about Rosina, the woman at the center of it all, and and it's kind of funny that you would have an opera that would demand such incredible singing and then turn the character who does the singing into a student. But in fact, she has a singing lesson. She's a singing student in the opera. By the time we reach that later in the opera... We already know she's a great singer because by that time we've heard Una Voce Poco Fa, which is this fabulous aria that introduces us to Rosina. Really, that's where we get to see her show her stuff. So by the time she has a singing lesson, nobody's even worried about that because this other aria is so amazing. Yeah. She introduces herself both as a singer and as a character. She says, I can be obedient, but I can also be like a viper to get exactly what I want. So it's her her showing that Yes, she's the doctor's ward. She has to do what he says. But really, she's got a much more independent spirit than it seems. And it's that spirit that allows her to deceive the doctor and live happily ever after.
And it's that nice subversive element that's in Beaumarchais' play, because the women are second-class citizens in this society. But Rosina is as smart as a whip and a match for any of the men she faces. And way smarter than Dr. Bartolo, who thinks he knows it all and has all the power, but really, he doesn't. It is time for some YouTube picks. Uh, every week, we pick some videos, and we post them on the He Sang, She Sang show page at wqxr.org for you to check out and see what's going on on stage in this opera. Jeff, what did you bring for us? I brought a video performance that predates the HD thing that the Met has been doing the last few years. Uh, back in the 1950s and 1960s, there was something on television called the Bell Telephone Hour, and they got great artists to perform. So we are going to hear a real-life couple... They were a real-life couple for about 15 minutes, but they were a real-life couple. <laughs> Roberta Peters and Robert Merrill, she from the Bronx, he from Brooklyn. So this is homegrown talent in New York, and they were absolute stars at the Met for many, many years. And they are on the Bell Telephone Hour in 1962 with the second half of this first-act duet where Rosina and Figaro are trying to figure out how they're going to get Count Lindoro and Rosina together. And it's really wonderful to watch. The costumes are great. The singing is pretty terrific, but the acting is so superb. So for people who say, uh, opera used to never be well acted, wrong. Watch Roberta Peters and Robert Merrill together. Nice. Maren, what about you? I have Figaro's aria, Largo al Factotum, and it's from the current production that's at the Met right now, the Bartlett Shear production, which opened in 2006. And Peter Maté, the baritone singing Figaro, he starred as Figaro then, and he continues to star as Figaro now. He's the man that you'll hear in the broadcast on Saturday, and he's the man in this video. So this is from a couple of years ago, and it's a great set, great costumes, but I really just love his performance. Fantastic singing, but like Jeff was saying, also it has this amazing acting there. So it's this consummate performance, and you really get a sense of Figaro's power. Despite his social status, this very, very powerful and funny character. You also get to see him pull a tooth. But not for realsies. <laughs> we don't know that. Well, I guess you do. She kind of just pops up like nothing happened. Um, uh, so I picked something that's a little unusual. Um, I came in here thinking, you know, there's so many examples of this opera in pop culture, as we had spoken about. Uh, so I was thinking Bugs Bunny, Woody Woodpecker. There's even a dubstep remix that they played on the Jersey Shore, that what? TV what? show from the MTV. <laughs> from wow. MTV. Wow. <clears throat> I'm sorry I missed that. Just kidding. <laughs> yeah, no, it's not that good. Uh, but what I ended up selecting was an acapella version of the Overture by the King Singers, uh, a group of musicians, uh, big friends of QXR. And they were here just at the end of November this year. That's right. And they're doing the Overture acapella, sort of uh, scat singing-like like acapella groups do. Yeah, like acapella groups do. When know. there aren't any words, you just go bump, 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 exactly. bump, 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 <laughs> yeah. bump. Uh, there's, there's sometimes a dum, dum, dum. Occasionally. In there yeah. Right. Uh, but it is, I mean, it's, it's entertaining. It's really well done. I mean, there's a section in there where they're imitating trumpets and they're in, they're in close harmony. And I mean, it's, it's, it's amazing. But it's also really funny. There's some slapstick in it and it's well acted. I mean, it's just a really exciting and hilarious performance by this group. It's goofy, and that's appropriate to this opera and to this style of music. It's totally in keeping with the, with the Rossini spirit. Exactly. That's right. Uh, so you can check out all of these videos at the He Sang, She Sang show page at wqxr.org. Uh, I hope that you enjoyed our romp through Rossini's Barber of Seville. Thank you so much, Jeff, for Thanks. joining us. It's always fun to be with you guys. 
Just on a personal note, I'm going to be heading out for a little while on uh, an extended parental leave. So I'm going to miss everybody. I know we're just getting started, but you guys are going to be in good hands while I'm gone. Jeff's going to take over a little bit. We're going to have some other people show up and, uh, and do some work. And I'll be looking forward to coming back and seeing what's going on in the spring. So... He Sang, She Sang is a production of Classical New York, WQXR. And hey, if you like what you heard, make sure that you subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or wherever it is that you get your audio. It'll help us out a lot, and we thank you very much for that. I am Mike Schobe. And I'm Marin Lazian. Thank you for listening.